I'll add my good morning to you all. It's good to be here on this first day of the week, a beautiful day. The Lord has blessed us with. We have opportunity to come here and to do those things that we have been shown how to do in the New Testament. Appreciate everyone being here and for your kind attention and your diligence in worshiping God. And that's along the lines of what I want to speak about this morning. From our scripture reading this morning, we understand and see how, how clear it is about the importance of the church. God set up the church to be the body, to be the collection of the Lord's people here on earth. And he made Jesus Christ to be the head over that body. As I mentioned, as we just read there from Ephesians chapter 1. And he designed the church with all the elements that it needs in order to function. He has prescribed certain activities that we engage in when we come here together as the body. He has organized it in certain offices. And he has told us its purpose. And simply stated, that is, that the church is set up to worship God. So when we think about that, we have to understand and know that God intended for these bodies to be well-functioning bodies. As we know, with the nature of God, he does not leave man to, to wonder how he ought to serve him. He gives clear instructions on how it is that we are to worship him. So he wants his church not just to be thrown together, not just to be haphazard, but he wants his church to be a complete and well-functioning body. In Titus 1, verse 5, it says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I have directed you. This is Paul instructing Titus about things that need to be set in order. In the New King James, it says there, the things that are lacking. So here we have Paul telling Titus that there are some things lacking in these churches, and you need to go set them in order to appoint elders there. So if a church is not operating as, it, as prescribed in the New Testament, then something remains. Something is lacking. So this morning I'd like for us to consider what it takes for a church to be a well-functioning body. A well-functioning body, a well-functioning church. Let's begin by thinking about a well-functioning church that is engaging in appropriate activity. First of all, it edifies its members. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, it says, What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, we don't have all of these things on this list anymore, tongues and interpretations, prophecies. But things still need to be done for edification. The things that we engage in here this morning need to be done so that, so that we're edified. Not that we come away gloomy, not that we come away 
with our soul afflicted, downtrodden. Rather, we come away edified in what it is that we are doing. A church engaging in the appropriate activity preaches the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8, it says, So that you become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth so that, you may not, so that we have no need to say anything. The word of the Lord needs to sound forth from this congregation. It needs to go forth from here, not just this physical building, but the bodies that make up this body, from us, the congregation. The word of the Lord goes forth. It goes forth from the church. The church needs to be involved in preaching the gospel. The church also needs to be involved in practicing benevolence. A couple of different ways we can look at this and a couple of different things we see in Scripture. First of all, let's consider that benevolence needs to be practiced for local Christians. In Acts chapter 2, and verses 44 and 45, it says, And those who have believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. This is the earliest church. <laughs> this is the one here in chapter 2 when the, the church began. And they understood the need for benevolence, for practicing that those in need could be uh, benefited by those who had things of their own. So the church is practicing hospitality, practicing, excuse me, benevolence. Its members contributing to the needs of, the, of others. We also must understand that this benevolence that the church practices is limited in its scope. It's limited to Christians that are a part of this group. We see this in the example here from 1 Timothy 5, verse 16. Paul given instructions here about widows. That widows are, were to be taken care of by the church only if they met certain qualifications. He says there in verse 16, If any woman who is a believer has dependent windows, widows, she must assist them. So if there's a woman in the congregation who has the means by which she could take care of the widows, then that was her responsibility to do that. But after that, the church could step in and take care. But it says here, the church must not be burdened, so that those who may assist him also are widows indeed. The church is, in, is involved in assisting those who are widows indeed. So we see from this that there's a, a limit to what the church can be burdened with. We're not just able to help everyone, only those who are in need of the members of this congregation. But there's something else to consider, that there are also needy Christians elsewhere. And it's okay for this church to help them. We have an example here in Romans chapter 15, verse 25 and 26. Paul here says, but, I, but now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Paul here is carrying a contribution from other churches to those poor, needy saints in Jerusalem. And that's okay. 
If there are Christians elsewhere in the world who have need, it's okay for this congregation to help them. It's important to understand that we help them directly. If we know of a church in Texas or they got flooded in Texas or in the Caribbean that needed help, it's okay for this church to make a contribution to them. It's not okay for us to give our money to some institution, some other body, and then for that body then to distribute funds. We don't have an example of that in the New Testament. What we have, rather, is churches giving directly to those in need. That's the example we have from the New Testament. So a church engaging in these appropriate activities is a well-functioning church. A well-functioning church is also properly organized. First, we understand that a church is made up of saints. In addressing letters, Paul often used the word saints. Here in Romans 1, verse 7, to all the beloved in God in Rome called as saints. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Similarly, in Ephesians 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. We're saints. If you're a child of God, you're a saint. Some in the religious world want to add other qualifications to that. But we simply understand that we're saints. The Greek word here, hagios, means most holy thing. It's interesting that that's the word when we think about how it is that we are to God, what he thinks of us. A saint is one faithful to God. If we're faithful to God, if we're a child of his, if we're practicing what we should be doing, then we're a saint. We don't need any other qualifications that the world may place on us. We're simply saints. Church also has deacons. We see the beginning of this office in Acts chapter 6 when the, the seven men there are chosen in Jerusalem to serve the tables, to serve those widows that were in need. There we have the beginnings of the office. It's further defined and the qualifications are laid out as Paul is instructing the young evangelist Timothy on the qualifications for deacons and elders. Here, speaking about deacons, 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8, says, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also be tested, then let them serve as deacons, if they are, they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife, and good managers of their children and their household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. For a pro uh, church to be properly organized, it needs to have deacons. It needs to have those who are serving, who meet these qualifications, who are able to serve the saints of that congregation. A church also, to be properly organized, needs to have elders. In that same passage there, from 1 Timothy 3, Paul gives instructions also about elders. 
we won't read all of this, but beginning of verse 1, it says, Is a trustworthy statement if a man aspires to be the office of overseer, also elder, is a fine work he deserves to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Similar qualifications to deacon, but a few more. Manage his own household well. Take care of the church of God. Now, a new, not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he is, will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Manages his household well. Respectable, hospitable, temperate, able to teach. Over in Titus, we read there the first part of this. I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Similar qualifications here listed to Titus about an elder, hospitable, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid game, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. One thing we can say about elders is this is a mature man. This is a man who knows scripture. This is a man who's control, in control of his own life, in control of his emotions. He's able to be hospitable. He's able to teach. He's not pugnacious. <laughs> He's not ready to go to fists. He's a temperate man. We also see that this is a man older in his years, a man who's had time to develop all of these things and has children who believe and manage his household well. I, make, I say all this to make this point, is that elders don't become elders overnight. Men, if you want to be an elder one day, you need to start working on it right now. Because that's the time that's going to take for you to, to get there so that you can have these qualifications. So that you are working on these things. So when someone mentions you or you, your name comes up as, as being an elder, they know this about you. But you've been working on this for a long time. And I'll also take the moment, brethren, to remind us that this church needs elders. The command here to Titus is to set in order those things that are lacking. Yes, these churches were functioning, obviously because of the context. That you would set in order what remains namely um, appoint elders in every city. There's churches that were meeting and functioning because this is where they go to appoint elders, right? But the church is not in order. It's not complete if it doesn't have elders and deacons. So I'll say this to help us to understand the need for elders and men, the need for us to be working towards eldership so that we can set in order the things that are lacking in this congregation. God designed the church this way for there to be elders and deacons. So we need to strive to make sure that we're doing that, that we're working towards that, that we might have elders and deacons at this congregation so that we can be complete. It goes without saying, and it may be uh, 
kind of on the nose to say this, but a well-functioning church worships God. Let's remind ourselves about worshiping God. First of all, let's understand that our worship needs to be orderly. We mentioned this before. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 40. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. There are movements out there and other churches and other denominations that have a free-flowing kind of formless uh, time together when they worship God. Maybe different from one week to the next. I'll tell you that Scripture doesn't bear that out. Scripture requires things to be done properly and in an orderly manner. Not haphazardly, not thrown together at the last minute, but orderly, properly. Much like the teaching to the Levites under the old law. All the things that they had to do, God hasn't changed. He still expects things to be done properly and orderly. He expects things to be done reverently. In Hebrews 2 and verse 20, it says, uh, I beg your pardon, Habakkuk 2 and verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. I like this verse. Reminds us, when we come together to worship God, the reverence that we need to be having. There are things that we take care of as far as announcements and those kinds of things, but when we worship our God, we need to have this attitude in mind. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. That's the proper kind of respect that needs to be given to our creator. Now in Hebrews 12, and verse 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Are we serving God that way? Are we reverent? Are we in awe of the God that we serve? We come together. We are coming together to serve God to stand in his presence and offer up our sacrifices. Something to think about. Think about, are you worshiping God the way he wants to be worshiped, the way he deserves to be worshiped? We worship God intelligently and spiritually. In John chapter 4, verse 24 it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. We come together to worship. It needs to be done in that way, in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? We need to know what we're doing. That we're not blindly being led by the men who come up here. That we don't know the scriptures that our heart's not in it, that we're drifting off thinking about what, what we might be having for lunch today. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Consider this in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. And I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. When you're singing, do you think about that? I know sometimes I struggle with this. 
I have a musical background. Did a lot of music when I was in high school and a little bit after that. So I'm thinking about the notes and the time signature and the key signature and those kind of things. And sometimes I, I lose track of what it is that I'm doing. Yes, I can blend my voice and, and do those things and sing. But what needs to come first? That I'm singing with my mind and my spirit. That's what I need to be doing. That's why I'm singing. I'm not singing so I can sing pretty notes in the right key and in the right tone and the right time. I'm singing with my mind and my spirit. Praying also. Sometimes you get lost in your prayers and cares of the world creep in and you forgot what you were praying about. Focus your mind. Focus your spirit on what it is that you're doing. We worship intelligently and spiritually. Let's be reminded of the things that we come together to do. We come together to hear preaching. We come together to pray and to sing. We come together to take the Lord's Supper and to lay by in store on the first day of the week. This is what we see the churches of the first century doing. These are the, the examples and commands that we see from the apostles and from our Lord, what it is that we do on the first day of the week. And in that we see the, the truth, spirit and truth. Each one of these things needs to be done that way. We understand that you need to be listening to what I'm saying and make sure I'm telling you the truth. Make sure the men who come up here to lead the Lord's Supper, make sure they're telling you the truth. And if they are, engage with them. Let your mind be focused on that. Let your mind be focused when we pray together so that your mind and your spirit is in that and your singing. Think about your singing a little more. When you have that songbook open and your mind is wandering, maybe you're mouthing the words, maybe you don't feel like singing, do you think that's pleasing to God? As a song leader, we get to see what you're doing out there. And sometimes it's a little scary. So at least know that the song leader's looking at you. Rededicate yourself, your heart and your soul, your mind, singing to God. And these other things as well. When we give, are we just dropping the check in the, in the collection plate as it comes by? Or are we thinking about what we're doing? But that, those monies are helping to spread the gospel here in this area, helping with benevolence, helping with edification of the members of this body. Of course, the Lord's Supper. The men do a good job here of helping to focus our minds on what it is that we're doing, remembering that great sacrifice. Let your heart and your soul, your mind be in that also. Understanding the terrible costs of sin and the high price that had to be paid. A well-functioning church, it engages in the appropriate activity. A well-functioning church is properly organized. Saints and elders and deacons. And a well-functioning church worships God. That's what we're here to do. 
We're here to worship God, to stand in the presence of our Creator and offer sacrifices to Him. So the question comes down then, are you doing your part to ensure this is a well-functioning church? You know, Paul talks about in Ephesians the body parts working together to ensure that these things are, are happening. He talks about the armor that we put on. Are you part of that body? Are you a functioning member of that body? If you're not, then you're falling short in your duty. We all have a duty to come together and to make this body function. And I'll challenge you even further. Not just to be a functioning part of this body, but a well-functioning part of this body. Are you doing all that you can to make sure that this body is functioning? From down to the smallest details. We talk about this church functioning and those kind of things, but you know, the lights just don't come on by themselves. The, vacuum, the floors don't just get vacuumed magically. Those are the little things, but they are important to making sure that this body is functioning so that we can come together in comfort on the first day of the week and worship our God. I'll challenge you to rededicate yourself, to worship God in spirit and in truth. If you were doing that, may God continue to bless you. If you're falling short in that and you need prayers on your behalf, let that be known. Pull your brother or your sister aside and say, pray for me. I need some help in this area. That's okay. That's what we're here for. If you're not a child of God, I invite you to come in. Come into the body. Start being a functioning part of the body. And make it your aim to be a well-functioning part of the body. If you have needs of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.